Well, welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Greg, and I am so glad that you are listening right now. Listen, man, life is hard, but we are here to help you. And so I hope you enjoyed today's message. And man, our, our, our real prayer and our real hope is that, that the message today will help you take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Recently, I was having lunch with a friend of mine here in Coconut Grove, and during lunch, he receives a phone call, and you know, one of these, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I got to take this call. So he takes the call, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to one side of the phone conversation, and it goes something like this. You ever heard something like this? Like, hello, this is he. Uh-huh. 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 Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and after what seemed like, felt like several minutes of uh-huh, my friend finally interrupts the caller and he says, so, so what are you saying? Like, like what's, the, what's the bottom line? Now, if you're watching or listening this message, there is some indication in that that you have some level of interest or at least curiosity around the idea or the person of Jesus. Now, have you ever been exploring Jesus or, or maybe even clearer, have you ever been reading about Jesus or reading the Gospels about Jesus? And, and you're reading and Jesus is telling a story and he's talking about a fig tree or a coin or a sheep or a mustard seed or some rando farmer or a rock and sand. And, and as you're reading, do, do you ever feel like maybe my friend did? Like, okay, uh-huh, Jesus, what is it that you're saying? I mean, wh what's the bottom line? See, this, this is a problem of Jesus. Is Jesus, why are you telling all these stories? Jesus, why are you telling all of these stories? parables. I mean, sometimes when I'm reading, I, it feels like I need some kind of decoder or a key code, or, or is there a translator somewhere who can come and help me understand this story? Like, Jesus, what is it that you're saying? Could you just give me the bottom line? I mean, is there a reason or purpose? Jesus is telling so many stories. You know what I've noticed, and, and this is true of me, it's true of you, but, but I can really see it in my kids. When I'm talking to or instructing my kids, right, I'm trying to give them some direction or, or coach them up, right, give them some information, right, they, they, they sometimes listen and get it, and other times it just seems like it's like, whew, right over their head. But when I say something like this, you know, when daddy was your age and I was at school on the playground, there was a bully and his name was, and I tell a story. You know what my kids do? They perk up. They, they lean in. Why? 
See, one of the central ways that we make sense of the world is by telling stories. I mean, this is how we answer the core questions that we have as human beings about ourselves, about others, and the world around us. There's these fundamental questions that we all ask, like who are we, and where are we, and what's the problem, and what's the solution? These stories. Stories are more than entertainment. They're, they're an explanation of reality, a filter through which we can experience and understand the world and our life. See, stories construct reality for us. One author said it this way. He said, narrative is the most characteristic expression of worldview, going deeper than observation or fragmented remark. Recently, uh, I came across an interesting study. I actually have the, the book right here. It's a book entitled The Seven Basic Plots. It's by a guy named Christopher Booker, and he argues in his lengthy work that, that there are only seven stories that humankind has ever told, and that we tell them over and over and over again, and have been doing that for thousands of years. Now, Booker's book, by the way, it has nothing at all to do with Jesus, but it changed the way that I think about Jesus because it changed the way that I think about stories. See, Booker says this. He says, there are seven stories of humankind. Overcoming the monster, rags to riches, the quest, voyage and return, comedy, the tragedy, the rebirth. Right? Think about this. There are seven basic themes that are been told in stories for thousands and thousands of years, right? Like overcoming the monster. You think of like Beowulf and Jaws and, and Star Wars and New Hope. You think about this idea of rags to riches and Pretty Woman and Cinderella. You, you, you think about the idea of voyage and return, right? The classics, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, the rebirth, Beauty and the Beast. A Christmas Carol, Avatar. And Booker says in his work that's so deep and intrinsic in our need for stories that as small children we have no sooner learned to speak than we begin demanding to be told stories. See, what's interesting to me is not only what, what kind of stories, what are the seven themes, but really more interesting to me is, is why. I mean, why do children, when they learn to speak, cry out for stories? Why books? Why are books so popular? Why film? Why stories? See, at the core, stories are meant to answer our deepest questions. Our deepest questions about origins and, and meaning and morality and destiny and life. And what stories do is they move beyond information and reason. They move to the level of the heart. And a good story penetrates the heart. And it moves beyond your reason to your heart, to your passions, to your desires. One thing that we know about Jesus 
is Jesus told a ton of stories. I mean, Jesus, at his core, was a storyteller. In fact, one-third of his recorded teachings in the Gospels are storytelling. He's telling stories, or he, he's telling parables. Why? I mean, why did Jesus tell stories? I mean, what was his purpose? What was his aim? The stories of Jesus are his answer to the questions that we have as human beings. I mean, how do we see the world? How do we understand ourselves? See, Jesus told stories. He told parables that challenge the status quo. He challenges our thinking. He challenges our understanding of God and of salvation, of ourselves, of grace, of judgment, of work, of sex, of marriage, of money, of everything. His stories, one author says, Shuffle the furniture of reality, scandalizing the acceptable ways humans felt and thought about things. And because of this, his stories demand a response, summoning those who heard them to a new and better way to be human. Luke, who was this Greek medical doctor, he writes an orderly account of the life of Jesus based on all of these eyewitness accounts. And in his gospel, Luke chapter 15, he tells about an extraordinary time when Jesus tells, well, he tells three consecutive stories, back to back to back. In fact, it's the only time recorded that Jesus tells three stories without a break, without a pause. Now, if you're familiar at all with Luke 15, you would seen these words. Here's the first verse. It says this. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were whispering among themselves, and they said, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Okay, now Luke is setting up the context of the story. He's saying there's these Pharisees, there's these religious leaders, and they're criticizing Jesus. Why? Look closely. Because of his company, because of the people he's hanging out with. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Now, this is a theme. It's a theme to our series, The Problem of Jesus. It's also a theme to the Gospels, to the account of the life of Jesus. During his time on earth, Jesus invited misbehaviors and skeptics and unbelievers to follow him. He had a simple invitation. He would say, follow me. And so they're criticizing Jesus. They're criticizing Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, how does he respond to their criticism? He tells a story. Well, actually, three stories. And these three stories or parables are commonly called the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I believe this misses the point entirely that they should actually be called, if you look closely, the parable of the good shepherd the parable of the diligent woman, and the parable of the loving father. I mean, look closely. Look at the stories. Where does the emphasis fall in each story? I mean, look for yourself. Story one, verse three. Jesus told them a story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Won't he leave the 99 in the open country? Won't he go and look for the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home and he'll call his friends and neighbors together and he'll say, be joyful with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, 
It's the same in heaven. There will be great joy when one sinner turns away from his sin. Yes, there will be more joy than for 99 godly people who do not need to turn away from their sin. Look closely. Where's the emphasis? Is it on the sheep? No. The shepherd, the good shepherd, the determined shepherd who is in pursuit of his lost sheep, the one. And when he finds the one, what? There's a celebration. There's a party. Story two, look closely. Verse eight. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins but loses one. Will she light a lamp, sweep the house? Will she search carefully until she finds the coin? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors together and she'll say, be joyful with me. I have found my lost coin. I tell you, it's the same in heaven. There is joy in heaven. There's a party in heaven over one sinner who turns away from their sin. Where's the emphasis? On the coin, the lost coin? It's the woman, the diligent woman, the determined woman who is in pursuit of her lost coin, the one. And when she finds it, there's a celebration. There's a party over the one. Story three it's the longest of the three stories. It's the story of the loving father. And I'll go through this rather quickly because it's lengthy. It begins in verse 11. And Jesus continued. He says, he says, there was a man, he had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son, he got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after the younger son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began, he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him through the fields to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I love this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hard servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with what? Compassion. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to become your sons. And his father said, nonsense. Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. He is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of his services. What's going on? Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in, and so his father went to him, and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered all your stuff on prostitute comes home, you kill the fattened calf with him. My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead, is alive again. He was lost. He's found. If you look closely, what do you see? A loving God, a heavenly Father, 
with great sorrow at the loss of just one person, contrasted with the joy and the thrill and the excitement when one person finds their way back to him. The Father, he gives his sons the gift of grace. He ran to his lost younger son. He pleaded with his lost older son. His extravagant love is for both his sons. See, the beauty of this story, the heart of the story, is the father has compassion and grace for both sons. The father, the dad, the loving father. The father is the hero of the story. He is actually the star of the show. So you don't miss this. Why did Jesus tell these because he's trying to let you know, he's trying to get to your heart, he's trying to let you know that your heavenly father offers you the gift of grace. He runs to you, he pleads with you. His extravagant love is on display for you. How will you respond to your heavenly father? So here at Miami Church, we're trying to tell a story to help you, to inspire you, maybe to challenge you, to find and follow Jesus. I mean, if you were standing in our space here at 2150 or you were here physically on, on a Sunday, we, we tell the story through music and art and through space and architecture and preaching and message and Bible engagement and greetings and smiles and connections and prayer and hugs. And it continues in, in coffee shops and in neighborhood teens, and conversations around tables. Why? To, to hopefully penetrate your heart, to capture your imagination, to change your thinking, all with the purpose of telling the story of Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, series called The Chronicles of Narnia, and the second book in the series, maybe his most famous, was entitled The Lion the witch, and the wardrobe. And in it, he wrote a dedication to his goddaughter. And he wrote these words. He, he said, my dear Lucy, he says, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. And as a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still, but someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales. Again, see, Jesus told stories because if his audience had ears to hear, their old souls would hear a call from a land they had not visited, but one they somehow knew. It was this, as if Jesus was singing the words to a song they hadn't heard, but which they could somehow hum. Jesus was uniquely able to reach beneath their reason to their heart, their passions, their desires, and this made his stories powerful. And that power, when it's unleashed, was anything but safe for him or his audience. People ask, well, why did Jesus hide his message in all of these parables and stories? But that is a misunderstanding. One author says this, truth has to be given in riddles. People can't handle truth if it comes charging at them like a bull. The bull is always killed. You have to give people the truth in a riddle. Hide it so that they will go looking for it and find the pieces that way they can learn to live with it. See, here's the ultimate story, is that, that God...
created you. He, he formed you in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and oh, you were made on purpose, and you were made with a purpose, and you were made for purpose, but you were born, you were delivered into a, a broken world. And maybe you don't like to consider yourself lost, but come on. The world is so broken. It only takes about two seconds of reading the headlines to see the brokenness. And if we're honest, we look in the mirror, us, you and me, we're broken, we're deeply flawed. In fact, we're separated from God and from his goodness and from his life. And the question is, where do you go? Where do you turn? Where, where's the hope? There's actually millions of options. And we're chasing all kinds of things. And In fact, some of us are, are chasing addictive and destructive things like the younger brother, and it's pretty odd. And some of us are chasing good things, or maybe things disguised as good, like the older brother. <laughs> but the writer of Proverbs says this, he says, there's a way that seems and feels right to us. It appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And this is where the good news comes in. The gospel. There is hope. And hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came along and he told these stories. And he challenged the thinking and the status quo. And he, and he challenged our understanding and our thinking as it pertains to God and, and salvation, as it pertains to ourselves and to grace and judgment and work and sex and marriage and money and, well, just about everything. And Jesus, his message and his purpose is that he is after you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, all of you, your passions, your imagination. And Jesus gave his life so that you can have yours. And his life is powerful. His stories are powerful. And they don't spoon feed us information or allow us to remain passive observers. They actually invite us, maybe even force us to become active participants and in so doing, they capture the one part of us nothing else can, our imaginations, which above all else need to be captured and reoriented when shaping our lives. Stories penetrate the heart. Stories move beyond reason to the heart, to your passion and desires. And the stories of Jesus are his answer to the questions we have as human beings. Oh, friend, I pray that that the stories and the words of Jesus would leap off the page. And they wouldn't just meet us at the intellectual, informational level. Information is good. But they would move beyond just that. And they would go and they would penetrate our heart and our desires and our imaginations. And that we would begin slowly, over time, piece by piece, putting it together to understand who Jesus is, and in light of who he is, who we are. God, I thank you so much for these stories that are sometimes confusing and hard to understand. But God, I know what you're doing. You're going for us. You're going for our hearts. You're pursuing our whole selves. And so, God, I pray, God, that you will draw us in, that you will draw us toward yourself, 
God, and, and as you draw near to, to us, I pray that we'll draw near to you, God, and we'll have real, authentic encounters with you. God, I pray over these amazing people who are listening to my voice right now, God. It's not about me or my voice or this message, God. It's about your pursuit of them. And so, God, I pray that you will just go all out in your pursuit of them and that they will know today, in this moment, how much you love them and you have so much purpose and meaning for their lives. Here and now and for eternity. So, God, we continue just to pray your favor and blessing to pour out on this community, not because of us, but because of your grace and your goodness. And most of all, for your son Jesus who gave his life for us. And we pray in his powerful name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at mymychurch.com. Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.